Well, there's a verse, 1 Timothy 3.15, that I want to point your attention to, and that's not where we're going to be primarily today, but I want to show you this verse to kick us off this morning. And in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege, and, and really writing to Timothy with how church should happen, how the church should conduct themselves. And he says in verse 15, I'm writing these things to you, speaking of Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, I'm writing these things to you so that you know how, as the church of God, to behave. We know that the church is not a building. Like, nobody needs to be reminded of that if you call this place your home, right? Nobody needs to be reminded of that. I mean, when we leave this place, you know what this place becomes? A middle school auditorium. But when we're gathered together as God's people, what's awesome is, is this becomes God's house because God's people are gathered together. And Lord willing, when God provides a permanent facility for us, that same thing will happen. When God's people are gathered together in one place, God is there. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, there's some things that God expects of his house. Like, wouldn't you say, if there were God's house, that God has some things that he wants done in his house... And he has some things that he doesn't want done in his house. Think about it. If I come over to your house this afternoon, and I'm not looking for an invitation, but if I come over to your house this afternoon and I start saying, hey, why do you have the couch there? Why don't you move it over there? Hey, why, why do you have the cups face down instead of face up? Why do you have the silverware in this drawer? You know what you'd start to say? Hey, bro, this ain't your house. Like, this is my house. And because it's my house... I'm going to do things a certain way, and there's things that I'm going to do, and there's things that I'm not going to do. And that's, in essence, what God is saying through Paul to Timothy, is, Timothy, there's some ways that God wants his house to operate. And don't you agree with me that if it's God's house, then he ought to get his way in what he wants in his house? I would agree with that. You should agree with that. I mean, let me... Say it this way. How many of you um, have ever played basketball before? Raise your hand. Let me look out here because the lights are in my eyes. Okay, the majority of you have played basketball. Now, how many of you, have you ever had that exhilarating experience when someone is, you're guarding someone and they're dribbling the ball and they're going up for a shot, a jump shot, or a layup, and you come by and you, bam, block that shot? You ever do that? You ever love that? That's an exhilarating feeling. Well, some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but stick with me. Because I believe one of the greatest shot blockers in professional basketball history is this guy, this picture that you're going to see, Dikembe Mutombo. I actually saw him in the airport uh, just about a year ago. Dude, the guy is 7'2". And he used to do a certain thing when he blocked somebody's shot. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, I want you to watch this clip. Right. 
You remember that? Like those of you who who are familiar with basketball, like Dikembe Mutombo, when he would block somebody's shot, he would take that long finger and he would wag it like this and then that voice, not in my house. Like, sounds like, like Cookie Monster, right? <laughs> like he would wave his finger, not in my house. And so what I want to do this morning is really the title of the message is, Why Does It Matter That We Gather? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, why do we do this every week? Like, do we just need something to do on a Sunday morning? Like, why do we, why do we gather together? Like, there's some things that God expects his children and family to do every week. And so I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And as you're turning there, like I can't think of a more important thing that God would want me to do when I start my week than to gather together with God's people as God's house to give God the glory that he deserves. I don't know about you, and, and I know you're like, well, of course you're going to say that because you're the pastor. Like, like if we weren't here, what would you do? Right? Some of you might, might think that, but I can't think of a better thing because I don't know about you, but every, before I start every week, what I ought to be saying is, wait a minute, before I start this week, I need, to, I need to get back to God, back to the truth, back to experiencing his presence, hitting reset on my week, centering on, on I'm not big, God is big, my problems aren't as big as God is, he's the one that's big, my future isn't as dark as it seems, it's bright, why? Because of who my God is. And I don't know about you, but I need that every week just like you do. And I'm not saying either that us gathering together once a week so that you can hear from someone on stage is all you need to get you through the week. That's not what I'm saying either. You need to be in God's word every day. You need to be developing your own walk with the Lord But when we gather together every week, it is something that ought to spur us on in a way to say, man, I needed to be reminded of that. I needed to hear that. I need to apply that in my week as I'm in God's word and praying to him every day and in the relationships that I have. Before we get into this passage of scriptures, I gave these to you a couple months ago when we were walking through the book of Nehemiah in a a context that fit this and but I want to give them to you again because here's the reality. I don't know about you, but I, pro- I need to hear things more than once. So let me give you some reasons why we miss church. These aren't on the screen. You can take them, write them down if you desire, which would be a good thing. Here's the first reason. There's good reasons. Some of you are like expecting me just to like come hard at you, right? There's some good reasons. Like health reasons, right? Like do us a favor. Don't drop your kid off sick in the children's ministry. Like, there's some good reasons. Like, stay at home when you're sick. There's some good reasons there. You may have to work on a Sunday. There's good reasons. You can't help that. You're on vacation, and that's why you're not gathering together with your home church. There's good reasons. But the majority of the reasons that we oftentimes don't gather together with God's people to give God glory is they're not good reasons. Let me give you the first one here that's not a good reason, extra leisure. And remember Dikembe Mutombo? 
Remember him wagging his finger? Remember saying, not in my house. Remember that? So here's what I want you to do. With every one of these that I give, I want you to look at somebody and say, not in my house. You ready? Let's practice this. One, two, three. All right, some of you even did the like cookie monster voice. That was really good. So let's do this. Extra leisure. Not in my house. How about this one? We'll see. I want you to be as strong with this one as you were with the last one. Kids sports. Yeah, that was less. Let's do that one again. Not in my house. Listen, I have kids that are in sports. I love watching my daughter play basketball. I love basketball. There's nothing, there's no sport I love more than basketball. And unfortunately, we've had to say, you know what? Or we, she can't be a part of that league. See, when a, when a coach comes up to you and says, hey, our practices or our games are, are Sunday morning, man, what an awesome opportunity for you to show your child that God's first. Not in my house. Here's another one. Too tired. Keep with me. Not in my house. Listen, I know what it's like to be tired. Two weeks ago, guess what? I went to the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Not went there, sorry. Somebody were like, whoo <laughs> I watched it. Some of you really thought something awesome of me. I watched it. And you know what I thought to myself? Ooh, this is, I'm going to pay the piper. Went to bed about 1.30. Here's the thing, I felt great the next morning. Now, I took a nap in the afternoon, but you know what I said? Like, what would you have thought? What would you have thought if all of a sudden, Johnny's not here today? Why? Because he stayed up and watched the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Well, that's okay. (laughs) No, there's an expectation of me. Like, you're supposed to be here. Like, too tired, like... Man, if my kids are out late or whatever it is, guess what? Tomorrow morning, you made a choice. We're going to church. Here's the reality. If your kids ask you Sunday mornings, Dad, Mom, are we going to church today? You probably ought to ask yourself, whew, why are they asking that question? Too tired. Here's the last one. You've been doing such a great job. Too busy. Not at my house. Like, oh, man, i got to get this home project done. Oh, I got to get this done. I got to get that done. All right, let's skip church. Not good reasons. And what I'm afraid of is that so many in the church no longer see gathering together as a personal soul commitment of gratitude to the God who has redeemed us and sustains us, but rather now view church as a matter of convenience that says, when it works for me, I will go. And what I want you to get today is this one idea, that your church attendance is a matter of allegiance, not convenience. That my church attendance is not a matter of allegiance, convenience. Now, I don't want to get legalistic with this, but, but just so you know me, like, you know, I'm the pastor, so it's like, of course you need to say this. When, when we go on vacation, you know what I do? I make it a point that we go to church somewhere, and I'm not even putting that, I'm not even making that like a legalistic standard for you, but you know why I do that? Because I want my kids to know that the reason why they go to church is not because their dad's the pastor. I want them to know that church is a matter of allegiance, not convenience. 
And I think there's some indicators. just want to give you a few that, are, that really can check our heart before we even get into Hebrews chapter 10, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Just some like checkups like, man, is church a matter of convenience over allegiance in my life? Here's some indicators. Constantly making excuse, excuses for inconsistent church attendance. Like if that's you, I wonder if church is a matter of convenience and not allegiance. Like, Lord, I'm, I'm going to gather together because, Lord, you've, just, you've, you've done insurmountable, an insurmountable work for me through your life, death, and resurrection. Excuses. Here's another one. Consistently late for church services. Can we joke about that? But I promise you, if I gave you a $110 ticket to Coldplay, you would be on time. Why? Because, man, it's something I value. Like, like, and I don't matter. I could say any band, and some of you are like, I don't care. But get, you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, the worship is not previews like you have in a movie theater. That, oh, the movie says it starts at 8, but I really know it start, the movie doesn't start till 8.20. No, 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 no. There's a reason the songs that we choose are songs that are meant, the words are meant to point our attention to who our Savior is. The words are meant to, to go and, co- and coincide with the message of God's Word. Listen, I don't preach just so that you can walk out these doors and apply a message and say, man, I wasn't bored today. We preach so that we can be better worshipers on time. Here's another one. Lack of preparation for church services. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that the devil loves to work from the time that alarm goes off to the time that you hit the doors of the church? Can I get an amen? Especially if you have kids. Like your kids are hellions in a way that they never are the rest of the week. Getting them ready for church and everything else. And how about, like, are we preparing our hearts? Say, maybe I need to get here just a little bit early so I can drop off my kids to the amazing workers that watched them. And they were such hellions that I get to drop them off. (laughs) And I can come here just a little bit early and just prepare my heart for what God has for me. I wonder if that's never come into my mind. Do we, are we viewing church as a matter of convenience over allegiance? And here's the last one. Man, are we engaged, not engaged in church services? Some of you are going to go home today, and you're going to turn on the TV, and you're going to watch your favorite football team play, and you're going to go nuts. And you're going to cheer, and you're going to yell at the TV, and, or you go to a game if you have the privilege of going to a game, and you're going to cheer, you're going to wear the gear, you're going to have the foamy finger, you're going to do all the other things, and you're going to scream, and you never once think to yourself, I wonder what someone else thinks of me right now. But when we gather together as God's people, as God's house to give God glory, we are cheering the King of Kings. I don't really care what someone next to me thinks. Like, what an awesome thing that that is. But I wonder if we feel this way, if church is a matter of convenience over allegiance. And so you're in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. And whenever we jump into a passage of Scripture like this, I feel it's important for us to give the context of where we are in this passage of Scripture so that we can better understand it. Because the writer of Hebrews may not, this may come as a shock to you, is writing to Hebrews, like to Jewish people. 
and he's writing to Jewish people to make a point that Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. That he came to do what the sacrificial system was pointing towards. A someone to come, the perfect lamb, the redeemer, the Messiah. To right man's wrong, to make an atonement for their sin. And so in chapters 1 through the beginning part of chapter 10, what he's doing is, is he's, he's given all of this evidence that Jesus Christ is the promised one to the Jewish people, that he is the Savior of the world, and how that ought to give them confidence that now they can have access to God through Jesus Christ, that it ought to, to give them confidence and they have an advocate before God. And that's the whole point of up through chapter 10. And then all of a sudden we come to the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, which is all about, man, what's my response to that amazing reality of what Jesus Christ has done for me? And so what I want to do in the remainder of our time this morning is I want to give you three ways that weekly church attendance encourages you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because would you jump down to verse 25 that we, many of us know so well if we've been at church? Hebrews 10, 25, and then we're going we're gonna to deal with the previous verses. But I want to start in verse 25 because the writer of Hebrews starts with this word, not. Say that, not. What am I not supposed to do? He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. What I find so interesting is even back then when the church first started, there were people that had a habit of making church a matter of convenience over allegiance. Just let's not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That was, was 2,000 years ago. And I don't know about you, but the world is not getting better, it's getting worse. Would you agree with me on that? And we need to be reminded over and over and over again that my hope is not ultimately found in the here and now. But as this world gets worse and standards get worse and truth becomes irrelevant and God's word is not looked at as the as the means for our faith and practice and even in churches today that, man, I don't know about you, but we need one another as that day when Jesus, that glorious day when Jesus Christ comes back one day, we need one another. And so here's the first way that weekly attendance encourages you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Number one, it encourages you to remember what Christ has done for you. Like when we gather together, it reminds us. I'm reminded today of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Look at what it says in verses 19 through 21. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great pride priest over the house of God. What he's saying here is, listen, we have confidence But it's not confidence in ourselves, it's confidence in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he makes reference to the holy place because when a high priest, when the high priest of Israel would go into the holy of holies, that inner sanctum where God's presence dwelt, where that Ark of the Covenant was, and that high priest would go and make a sacrifice and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, he had to do everything exactly right. 
If he messed up one little thing, guess what? God didn't say, oh, you tried. No, you know what happened? He died. And he had a rope that they would tie to his ankle, and he had little bells at the bottom of his robe so that the people outside of the holy holies could hear, he's still moving. He's still doing what he's supposed to do. And if he didn't, you know why they had that rope? Because they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies because they would die. So they could drag him out. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, that's no longer the way that it has to be. Because we have confidence to enter that holy place, not because of ourselves, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. By his blood, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. In other words, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else in the temple, that Matthew 27, 51 says that when Jesus says it is finished, that there was an earthquake, and that curtain ripped from top to bottom, symbolizing that now through Jesus Christ, you and I have access to a holy God. We'd spent four weeks on prayer. We talked about how I can go to God whenever I desire, not because of me, but because what Jesus Christ has done for me. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we gather together, As God's people, as God's house to give God glory, we gather together to remind ourselves that the only reason God wants to hear what I have to say, my voice to him is off key as it is, but the reason why God loves to hear it, the reason why God loves to look and to see his children gathered together is because they are his children because of Jesus Christ. It reminds us of what Christ has done for us. And listen to me, if this church gathering ever stops reminding you of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and if this place ever stops sharing what Jesus Christ has done for every man, woman, and child, then you need to go find another church and I need to get another job. It ought to encourage us. Just like the writer of Hebrews saying, hey, Remember the confidence that you have in Jesus Christ. Remember the confidant that you have in Jesus Christ. He's your advocate. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, Paul says it this way. His prayer for the church. Remember we looked at this a few weeks ago in our series on prayer. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Not just you. But all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I can read some of your minds because I know what you're thinking. Well, if I don't go to church, I, I can still be a Christian and not go to church. And I would say, absolutely, we're not saved by works. Like God's not up there in heaven saying, if you don't go to church today, you're not a child of mine. God doesn't work that way. It says we're saved by grace, not of works. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So I'm not coming to church saying, hey, God, did you see what I did for you today? You see how good I am? No, no, no. God sees me through Jesus Christ. He sees me as perfect in spite of my sin. So you can be a Christian and not go to church, but here's the reality. I could be married and not go home. Right? I mean, I could say, you know what? just going to not be with Lori for six weeks and go on a vacation by myself and, some, and, and every one of you to say, that's not a good idea. Probably not the best thing for your relationship. Why? Because there's something that happens that when I am with my 
wife and communicating with her that it spurs on my relationship. And yes, once again, church doesn't replace my own quiet time with God, but it's also not in replacement of my time with God's people. It spurs on our relationship. It encourages me to remember what Christ has done. And my prayer every Sunday, and I don't say this in some braggadocious way, because there's so many times that I look and I'm like, man, God, I didn't, I didn't take time to pray about this. But man, when we gather together, my prayer every Sunday is, God, would you bring your people, your church that are believers and people that ought, need to hear the gospel, would you bring your people, would you bring your power, and would you bring your presence? See, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But there's also something called manifest presence. Because God doesn't work everywhere the same way. He works different ways in different places. And, and praying every week, God, would you work in our midst in such a way that when someone walks through those doors, they would be able to say, man, I don't know what it is, but something's different in here in this middle school auditorium. God, would, you, would your power and your presence be evident in such a way? And let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ is lifted high, that happens. Weekly church attendance, man, it encourages me to remember what Christ has done for me. Here's the second thing. It realigns my heart with Christ's hope for me. Look at what it says in verses 22 and 23 of Hebrews 10. Because now we're getting to a portion of this passage of Scripture where there's some, there's some response that is needed based on what Jesus Christ has done for me. And there's three let us statements. And the first two are in verses 22 and 23. The writer of Hebrews says, well, based on what the confidence and the confidant that we have in Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That word true heart has the idea of undivided loyalty to who Jesus is. Then he says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. You ever get an alignment done on your car? I have. You know what causes you needing an alignment? Well, there's many things, but let me just mention a few. One would be you hit a massive pothole, which I've found after spending one winter here is a, something that chances are you're going to. Like, for whatever reason, you guys have massive potholes. And I remember one time almost avoiding, avoiding, thankfully, a pothole and thinking, if I would have hit that, I would have bottomed out and for sure need an alignment. So hitting a pothole, probably going to need alignment. How about hitting a curb? Not the greatest, maybe not the greatest at driving, and, and, and you hit that curb. And what does that hitting that curb do? It causes you to get out of alignment. Or wear on your tires can cause you to to get out of alignment. And then the cause of that is, is when you're driving, what happens? You find yourself that your steering wheel doesn't say center, right? Or you let go of the steering wheel just for a moment and you just start drifting off, right? Or it causes un, uneven wear on your tires. And so you say to yourself, I need to get an alignment. Otherwise, my car is not going to stay truly center. It's going to veer off to the right or the left and it's going to possibly cause an accident. Got to go in for an alignment. Often is that true of our hearts? Some people in this room this past week have hit a pothole in life and it took you by surprise and it jogged you. 
or you hit something and you didn't even see it coming, or just the wear and tear and fatigue of life. You need alignment. You need alignment. Bring you back to center so you're not veering off to the right or to the left. And what an awesome thing to be able to gather together with God's people to give God the glory that's due his name, to realign your heart with, wait a minute, all of these things that are wanting to rob my hope from me that's found in Jesus Christ because he who promised is faithful. Everything that's wanting to get me to veer off to the right or to the left and doubt Jesus for who he is and causing me to forget that if he loved me enough to live, die, and be risen for my sins, then he's surely going to intervene in this situation or that situation for my good and ultimately for his glory. Like, one of the greatest ways to do that is to say, wait a minute, everything in me wants to skip church. Everything in me wants to say I'm too tired. Everything in me wants to put that to the side burner. But wait a minute, I need an alignment. And I want to gather together with God's people and to hear God's word and to give God glory with other believers so that my heart can once again be aligned to be devoted to him. Not in replacement of my quiet time, but be in addition to my own time with the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but my heart's an idol factory. Is yours? Man, it so easily can. And sometimes that conveyor belt in my heart is running a whole lot faster than other times. And what I need to constantly bring myself back to is, wait a minute, Lord, I don't need to elevate this thing. I'm, I've, in my life, I've elevated this thing or this relationship or this goal or this dream or whatever it is or this problem. And I've elevated it to enough of a point to where I'm actually worshiping it other than worshiping you. Lord, I need an alignment. I need an alignment. I think it also builds our trust, man, because what does it say here in verse 23? It says that, that we have a confession. We need to hold fast. That strong language, grip tight the hope that we have in Jesus who promised to be faithful. Trust is a matter of perspective. It's a matter of what am I looking for for hope? Where do I need to be realigned so that my heart looks to Christ for its hope? You know, a great passage of Scripture that illustrates this is Psalm 73. Psalm 73 was written by Asaph, who was like the, would be, in our terms today, the worship leader for Israel. And if you're struggling today and like, man, why does it seem like I'm trying to serve God and nothing seems to be working out for me and, and I look it up to my right and to my left and my friends, my coworkers, everybody I know, they could care, couldn't care less about Jesus and everything seems to be working out great for them. Psalm 73, great passage of scripture to go to. And Asaph is having one of those pity parties and he says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Like I'm looking all around me and I'm like, God, I'm trying to serve you. God, I'm trying to look to you as my hope. God, I'm trying to look to you as, as my Savior. And these other people aren't doing that, and everything was working out great for them. And then all of a sudden, you go down to verse 17 of that psalm, and he says, wait a minute. It wasn't until I went into the sanctuary of God that I got refocused. I got realigned. I want to introduce you to a gentleman. should probably know who he is. Martin Luther Father of the Reformation, lived from 1483 to 1546. 
here in October 31st, we're going to celebrate 500 years of the Reformation. Martin Luther, if you remember, nailed those 95 theses to the door of the castle at Wittenberg and really started everything, though there was other men before him that, that were planting seeds for the Reformation. But he says this, I find this so interesting about gathering together with other believers corporately. He says, at, at home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. And the way weekly church attendance encourages you is, number one, man, it, it reminds me, it reminds you of what Christ has done for us. It realigns my heart with Christ's hope for me. And here's the last thing. It reinforces through relationships Christ's expectations of us. Because look at what it says in verse 24. The writer says, here's the third, let us. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hey, hear me on this. God created you to live in relationships. God did not create you to live in isolation. Isolation is the enemy's playground. He did that all the way back in Genesis 3 with Eve. Let me get her isolated so that I can speak lies into her. The devil loves to work in isolation. And I find it so interesting that so many of us, when we're going through something extremely difficult or, or, or we've, we've fallen into sin and we know it's wrong or, or some other situation, that so often what people do is they wander away from the church. Rather than saying, the place where I need to be more than any other place to reinforce Christ's expectations of me is gathering together with God's people. Because the, what the writer points to is the way that we reinforce Christ's expectations of us is through relationships. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another. And what's Christ's expectations of us? Love and good works. Jesus says that in the Gospels. Thou shalt love the Lord of God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Like to love God and to love one another. That ought to be an aspect that is reinforced when we gather together for good works. Man, how am I supposed to live my life when I walk out of those doors? How am I supposed to live my life when I go out during the week? Being able to hear, Lord, this is what you said this week, and as I get alone with you and I open up your word and I pray, God, that I would ask you to reinforce what was shared when I gather together with God's people on the first day of the week, and, and Lord, let me, let me be encouraged to apply that as I go throughout my week. Christ's expectations are reinforced through relationships. And that word stir is an interesting word. Look at it. It says how to stir up one another to good works. It's an extremely strong word in the original language there, in the Greek. Because it has the idea of provoking or a heated exchange. Like, like it's usually not used in a great way. Have you ever been angry? Like really angry. So angry that you've had to ask forgiveness afterwards. Yeah, that's stir. But it's 
find here it's used in a positive way. It has the idea of fanning a flame. You ever see one of those fireplace bellows? Those old school things and they, you like, you like pump it and you're moving those. What are you doing? You're fanning a flame. Here's the idea. He says there, man, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works that when I gather together with God's people in God's house to give God glory and I hear from his word, what it's actually what we ought to be doing is, is hey, do you hear that? It's like a pep rally. Man, let me fan the flame that God's put inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Man, let let me encourage you to walk out of here and love Jesus and love others and do what he's called you to do wherever he's placed you. Man, let's fan that flame. That's the idea. I just pray by myself, but pray with one another. I just read God's word by myself, but read it with one another. I just live my life a certain way, but be an example for one another. Not just to receive encouragement, but to actually encourage one another. That's why life groups are such an essential part of our church. It's hard to get plugged in a life group without gathering together on a Sunday morning. And I want us to have convictions about God's word, that it is God's word, it is God's standard, it is breathed out by God, that when God's, mouth is o- God's word is open, God's mouth is open. I want us in this church to have convictions about his word. I want us to have convictions that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, John 14, 6. Man, I want that conviction. I want a conviction that says, man, we know Jesus Christ is coming back one day, that this world isn't the best that we have to hope for. Man, I want us to have that conviction, but I also want us to have a conviction that says, man, I want to be a man or a woman of the church. That I want to be someone who gives my life to Jesus, but I also want to be someone that gives my life to a local body. I want to be someone who says, man, I raised my kids to love Jesus in a local body. Man, we're someone who spent our lives for Jesus, but we spent it in a local body. And so as we close, let me just give you some commitments that I want to encourage you to make in regard to your church attendance. Because we saw from God's word the importance of gathering together from Hebrews. So what's our response? Like, what are some commitments that we need to make? And I want to encourage you, we're starting off a new ministry year. This is like our church's New Year's Day. So it's awesome. You get to make some New Year's resolutions in September. And I would encourage you to make this first commitment if it's already not something that is something that you've committed to. Here's the first thing, consistency. That I'm going to make gathering together in this place that's my home. And I'm going to make it a priority because church attendance is about my allegiance to Christ, not convenience. Here's the second one. Man, I'm going to commit to being on time. Because what it reveals is, wait a minute, God, you're a priority. I'm going to commit to preparing my heart so when I come into this place, man, I am ready and wide open to be ministered to, not just through God's written word, but also through God's spoken word through worship. And I'm going to engage in worship. We play our music loud enough so that you can't hear yourself sing. There's a reason for it. So you can sing as loud as you want, baby. Loud as you want. I'm going to engage in worship because I'm worshiping my king. And here's the last one, man. I want to encourage you. I'm going to commit 
to encouraging others. That when I walk into this, this auditorium every week and I pass by people, that I'm not just focused on me, but I'm looking around to see who else in here needs encouragement. Who else looks like they just need me to come alongside of them and say, hey, man, I'm so glad you're here. Is everything okay? Like, I'm really asking that. That we would commit to be that. So we start out this ministry year. That we can make church a matter of allegiance, not convenience. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would Help us to see the areas in our life, Lord, that we need to realign, that have gotten off. Maybe there's something in our heart that is we've put above you and it's become an idol. God, may we smash it, put it in its rightful place. God, this is such a beautiful thing that when we gather together as God's people together, God, it, is, it cannot be reproduced And God, we don't gather together to hear from your word and to praise you in absence of our own time with you, but God, it's actually meant to fan the flame for our own time with you, for our own walk with you. Lord Jesus, may our church attendance gathering together in this place be a sign of our allegiance to you, not a matter of convenience. And it's only by the powerful and mighty name of Jesus that we can make this commitment. Amen.